Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to This Life, a podcast by Mallorca Media. I'm your host, Felix Mallorca. Uh, we are here at the Local Hub Studios. As always, shout out to them for being our sponsor. Uh, right now, you can get a three-day pass if you go on their website. Uh, the best way to do it is find them on Instagram. It's uh, Local Hub SD, I think. Esco. <laughs> um, yeah, go on their Instagram, click the link in the bio, and uh, you will be directed to that. Let's get into the episode. Today, I'm sitting down with... Missy Peters. Missy Peters. Um, you are, I think, a jack of all trades, and I'm very excited for today's episode because lately I've been finding myself just uh, reaching out to different people and, and a little bit more than I usually do because I think I've I've hit a rut in the podcast and I want, while I want people's stories, I also want more information out there. And I think I already have to correct you. What? It's not a rut. What is it? If it was a rut, you'd be stuck. It's just an opportunity for you to grow, to find new people, to bring them on, to expand and become better at what you're doing. And that's why you're on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, amazing. Um, Mindset. I listened to your first one. There you go. Yes! 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 Okay. Anyway, yes. Nux. That was good. Um, before we get started, though, let's uh, let's grab our drinks. Okay. I'm going to start with the acai. Oh, we have, wait. I'll go with you. Oh, yeah? So we have uh, we have some June Shines here. Um, still haven't heard about the uh, sponsorship, but, it, you know, it's all good. One, two, three. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. Let's do it. All right. So, Missy, you and I uh, spoke last week, but I actually met you through your husband, mm -hmm. uh, Don, with the beautiful beard. And he's got an incredible beard. Um, <laughs> so he told me a little bit about your story. Uh, why don't you tell the viewers or the viewers, the listeners, the viewers, whatever. Um, tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I think... Um the main part of my story is that I am a young breast cancer survivor, and I am currently 36 years old. Um, I found a lump at 33 and have no family history of breast cancer, and I had not ever heard of anyone young having breast cancer, so I did not think it was anything to worry about. And in the meantime, a month later, I got pregnant. I carried my baby, um, and in my third trimester noticed, oh wait, let me back up. Uh, at six weeks pregnant, I went to the doctor, had my lump checked out. Doctor said he couldn't feel it, and I started crying because I knew there was a lump there and already felt like he was writing me off. Because of my tears, he agreed to order an ultrasound ultrasound was interpreted that it was benign, nothing to worry about. And even the ultrasound tech told me, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I see these all the time and you have nothing to worry about. And wow. I said, great. I don't think I have anything to worry about either. I'm 33. Yeah. So I moved on with my life. And, and this was before you were pregnant? Sorry. This was at six weeks pregnant. Six weeks pregnant. So these okay. were pretty much going on at the same time. Okay. And mind you, I found the lump while I was shaving my armpit Wow! in the shower because it's in the upper outer quadrant of the breast, like right near the armpit. And my oncologist later informed me that that is the most common location that breast cancer 
manifests itself in the breast tissue. So say it one more time. Uh, so if the same it's location. like the top outer corner, not corner, but pretty much where the breast tissue becomes your armpit. Okay. Kind of like right there. I don't know if anyone can see where I'm pointing. Um, but the top of the breast near the axilla, near the armpit, that is the most common location of breast cancer. And that's right where my, my lump was. Wow. So fast forward and my third trimester, my lump started growing. I went back to the doctor and they like ushered me through tests, biopsies, and determined rather quickly that it was cancer and it was almost five centimeters large. Wow. And you said that was when? That was, that was after your pregnancy? That was, um, I was diagnosed a few days before my daughter was born. Wow. So it took me 11 months from finding my lump to getting diagnosed. And I was diagnosed and had my first oncology appointment um, with a very pregnant belly and was just about to give birth. And Sequoia, our daughter, was born a few days after, five days specifically after I was diagnosed. So Dang. I was diagnosed with breast cancer and became a mom in the same week. And my daughter happened to be born on Christmas. Oh my So it was a pretty gosh. busy week in our lives. Yeah, big time. <laughs> I Hold on. I, for some reason, can't hear myself. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Loud? Uh, or just like faint? Like, like how I heard you in the beginning. How you heard me in the beginning. Okay. Uh, sorry. I'll cut this out. Felix, cut this out. Okay. Oh, that's better. See, this is the thing about buying new things. Anyway, <laughs> I know though. I'm with you. I know. Yeah, you no. got it. You got to work through the rough parts yep. to to become a master. Exactly. Growth Felix, mindset. You're becoming a master. <laughs> Growth <laughs> mindset. Um, okay, I'll probably keep this in because I like what we just said, um, okay. or I'll probably forget. Anyway, um, but that's not the end of my story. Okay, keep going. Keep going. Please keep going. So I'm diagnosed with breast cancer. At this point, I am 34 years old. As I said, no family history, never met anyone. Um, went through chemo, lost my hair, had double mastectomies, reconstruction, and in the process learned that there are tons of young women who have breast cancer. But I hadn't heard of them. They exist. They have very much so drawn to Instagram, social media, Facebook to find groups to connect with each other. There's a group called the Breasties, which forms social gatherings for women. And it's like, we're all out there and we need to tell other young women that this can happen to them because otherwise you are like me. And you don't think that it can happen to you and you go on with your merry life and then my tumor is five centimeters large. So I started taking portraits of other young women diagnosed before 40 years old to share their stories merely for the grassroots effort of here are photographs. Now you have more material to share with your friends, family, social networks. And hopefully your inner radius, your outer radius of acquaintances will have a better chance of hearing your story, Jamie, Erica, Samantha, whoever you are, actually. I've never photographed anyone with those names. Okay. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and then they are more likely to, God forbid, feel a lump, be more proactive. So my goal is to use all of our stories. I tap into tons of women right here in San Diego, slash I photograph here in Escondido at our home. Um, yeah, with the efforts that 
we can raise awareness and that women will be more proactive, get diagnosed at an earlier stage. I was hovering stage three when I found my lump. It was likely stage one. Wow. And put the power within the woman to know that she needs to be proactive in front of her physicians because it's also the physicians who tell us we're too young. Right. And belittle our concerns. Not all of them. I I strongly repeat, not all of them, but some of them. And about half of the women I have photographed, and I'm almost at 50 women I've photographed and interviewed, um, about half of them have had delayed diagnoses because they didn't feel that concern, such as myself, or their doctors pretty much send them home and say, don't worry about it, you're fine. Wow. It's benign. So I've always heard that when you feel a lump, whether it's your testicles or mm-hmm. your breast, mm-hmm. like it's it's probably something. W- yeah. What did they, I've always heard this term benign, but what does it really mean? Is it just like, oh, it's just like a ball of grease? Is it a ball of, what is it? Is it a lump of, what is, what is it? What do they tell you it is? Yeah, well, let me preface that I'm no doctor, so I don't know. Right. Um, but I think it's just cells overproducing. So it's just like a lump of tissue. Is what they chalk it up yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it wouldn't be adipose necessarily, but it's like also not muscle or something. It's just like a clump of cells. Wow. Is my understanding. Yeah, that kind of blows me away because we... I could sh- be wrong. Right, right I, don't, right. I don't know that I've ever Googled that one. So no, I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, a, that's okay. And I mean, <laughs> Google it if you're... I mean, I'm, I'm asking kind of the questions that I think other people would, would ask because when you're told, at least other people should ask, when you're told you have a lump and it's benign and you're like, all right, I'm good. Like, no. So then well, here's, what is it? Here's already where I have to jump in because I already have friends that say, oh yeah, I have this lump. Like I noticed it around my period and my doctor said it's related to my menstrual cycle and it's nothing to worry about. And I say, well, did they confirm that from biopsy or like I had an ultrasound and it was confirmed to be benign and it was wrong. Right. So hundred percent black and white, no gray area. Biopsy confirms whether it is benign or not. Everything else is subjective. The only loophole, and it's not quite a loophole, but the only thing that does give more information is a cyst is liquid. And a liquid appears black on imaging. Okay. So like a tumor or even a benign mass will appear white on, say, an ultrasound or a mammogram. Or I don't know how they image testicles. I'm right. not. I'm not in that business. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not talking about that. <laughs> but so those will appear white or like whiter shades of gray. Okay. A cyst will appear black because it's fluid filled. Gotcha. So nothing's bouncing. Okay. To re- to reflect the, the light back. Okay. Um, now that we've talked science, uh, I want to bring it back to kind of the human aspect. Do you remember that day that they told you oh, yeah. it was cancer? Mm-hmm. So what I, what I've seen, uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Fifty Fifty. I think it's Fifty Fifty no, with um, Jason J- J- Jason Gordon Levitt, whatever his name is. Um, he finds out he has cancer in his back, uh, and when the doctor tells him, he's just kind of like, you you always hear like the ring in the ears and just like. They're hearing what the doctor's saying, but they're not listening. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, Breaking Bad when he's like, yes, you have cancer and you have lung cancer and it's just the ring. And Spoiler alert. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you haven't seen it by now, dude, come on, figure it out. Um, but 
is that really what it's like or are you just i handed the phone to my husband really mm-hmm. that was john i heard it and i just rolled over and started crying and he asked the questions and then i said what do you say wow i mean it's a reaction you're not really thinking through it's an emotional reaction and i think the uh, immediate question is am i gonna die and honestly it's not a bad question to ask Mm-mm. Because part of that sticks with you the rest of your treatment. It sticks with me right now. Uh, one in three women with early stage breast cancer develop metastatic breast cancer. And that's terminal. Um, women can live with that for a number of years or that could be diagnosed and it could go quickly. But if that helps you live a fuller life, are you angry that that's your existence? Like asking that question is not a bad thing. Right. So I think the immediate response to a diagnosis is, am I going to die? And you also like, you're given this iceberg to your, your, what is it? What is the larger part of the iceberg? Not a glacier. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. The bottom part. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just the berg. You're given the berg. Right, right. Because there's so much more underneath all of it. Yeah, yeah. And all, it's like a diagnosis. And then it comes into what kind, what stage treatment. And it's like the whole novel that unfolds afterwards, you don't have yet. So you're pretty much left with, okay, someone is going to call you. So I pretty much spent the rest of that day um, sitting on the couch, working, doing some work from home. And which was good to take my mind off of things. And then had these intermittent phone calls coming in. Okay. Helping schedule appointments for me. And then the first month just like ramps up with tons of appointments. And let me segue this into learning that I carry a genetic mutation that made me an 80% lifetime risk of developing breast cancer. Wow. And I have no family history. So there was no reason for me to feel that I needed to get this test. Um, But it was carried through my paternal side, through my dad. And we think it came maybe from his mom. Um, and it's called the BRCA gene. So I have the BRCA1 gene mutation. Dang. So it just kind of skips around until it hits? Mm, no, no. It's it's a dominant trait. So from my parents, my dad didn't express it. It doesn't express it because he doesn't have as great. I mean, men are not as at great a risk of breast cancer. Right. Um, so I had a 50% chance of inheriting it from my two parents i received it from my dad so i got the gene so then our daughter had a 50 percent chance of getting it either from me or from my husband and sequoia does not have the gene yes that's good so if you have it it's dominant okay okay it doesn't it doesn't hide in the gene pool you either have it or you don't have it so but whether you have cancer or not is is the uh artistic novel that one can only guess whether it's going to express or not right is your phone ringing? I think it might be vibrating. I was like, do you want to, do you want no? Do you want to get it? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so that, I mean, you were pretty much clearly remember that day. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what happens next? Um, they find out that they run the tests, whether you have a genetic correlation and you have to find doctors and you have to be really proactive. I started out at one institution and did not get the warm and fuzzies for my physician. Uh, thankfully, I had my husband with me. Much be much more difficult now during the time of COVID if you can't bring loved ones or next of kins in with you. Right. 
because my the first doctor I went to, I was like, all right, this man's going to save my life. Let's do it. And Don walked out of there and he goes, hell no, we are not working with this guy. Right. I'm an engineer and I left with more questions than I entered with. This guy <laughs> made me way more confused. I do not like him. So thankfully, I trust him and trust his intuition and his judge of character. And I will give a shout out to UCSD because that's where I ended up getting treatment. And I have been more than phenomenally happy with my physicians who are all women, by the way. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Shout out to the ladies, man. Shout they, out to women, man. <laughs> where half the population. <laughs> um, and breast cancer is uh, a great risk. One in eight women develop breast cancer. Wow. One in eight women. So chances are you either know someone or you're going to know someone that has struggled with it or suffered from it. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the what are the thoughts while all of this is happening? Do you feel anything? Like I, 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 I mean, I would think, God forbid, someone tells me I have cancer, I would just be like a zombie. Like I would be going to these m- meetings or uh, physicians' offices, just kind of like. I don't know, in shock. Like, did you have that sense of shock? Did you? Well, also remember, I was about to give birth. That's right. And how beautiful that life was just so real. Mm -hmm. So was I thinking about myself? Yeah. But was I also excited to become a mom? Yeah. We brought a daughter into the world. I had a natural birth. I was in labor for 29 hours with a recent diagnosis. And like... Honestly, I think the worst part of it was when the social worker social worker came into the room and sat me down and said, I know you're probably worried that you may not be here for your daughter's life. Jeez. And I said, I mean, I really hadn't thought about it that way until you said it. So yeah. now I'm going to cry. Thanks. Jeez. <laughs> That's crazy. And she wasn't wrong, but. We're all different, and I don't think I needed to hear it right then. I was I was yeah. celebrating becoming that, yeah. a mom. That's something you don't want to think about yet. Yeah, but then also think, like, <clears throat> treatment ensues. It's rather all-encompassing, at least from my point of view, but I was on maternity leave for the first three months. Right. So it's this, like, so work was out of the picture. I ended up going on short-term disability, amen, for California laws and their ability to take care of us in these situations. And I was not working. I was home. I was in treatment. And I was caring for my infant and I was able to breastfeed for two weeks. And then they started putting chemicals in me. <sighs> so I had to wean and they turned off my ovaries. So they turned off your ovaries. Mm-hmm. How do they do that? They're still turned off. <laughs> Why is that? In case you can't see Felix's face, he just let his eyes pop out of his oh head. Oh my God. <laughs> so I'm, I'm one of those people that's like very, I'm, I really, I've, I've met even girls that are like ashamed to talk about like periods no. and stuff. And like, I'm the guy that's like, I'm asking questions. Like we all have bodies. I, exactly. And like <laughs> either male, female or something in between. And I think that you should have those conversations. Like I asked the girl that I was dating, I was like, and I was well into my twenties. I was like, so like wh- what exactly like is a period? Cause she was having a conversation <laughs> with her, <laughs> with her, with her roommate. And I was like, um, I don't want to sound like gross or anything, but like, and they were just like, oh, well, you know, it's when the uterine lining and blah, blah. And I'm like, 
well, what is that? And I like, I just kept asking questions. Like, I think people should feel comfortable enough to talk about it. I and mean, it's been part of our origins since the age exactly, of time. Exactly. It's, so it's hopefully never going to change. It's one of our traits of humanity. Yeah. It should never become digitized. <laughs> exactly. So when you, when you say something like they turned off my, my, did you say ovaries? Yeah. Cause I blacked out. Sorry. Yeah. Um, they turned, <laughs> they turned off my, I'm like, what? The first thing I asked how second thing is why? Um, how I get a pellet inserted into my abdomen with a large gauge needle. So I get mm. a Novocaine shot to numb my belly to okay. receive the large gauge needle. Large gauge Gage. needle. That's fun. Um, injection. That's like a... Sounds like you're getting your ear pierced each oh. time. Into your belly. And then that pellet dissolves and somehow tells your ovaries to stop production, which is... Um, where a lot of your estrogen is produced, I had an estrogen receptor positive cancer, meaning also remember I was pregnant right. and it started to grow rather quickly in my third trimester. Because of all the estrogen. Ton, like the highest estrogen levels a woman will have in her lifetime while she's pregnant, especially in the third trimester. Um, and so to answer why, one, most women get it. It's called a Zolodex injection. I'm sure there's uh, different brand names for it. But most women get the Zolodex injection also to preserve their fertility. So whether you have an estrogen receptor positive cancer or not, if you're a young woman who still wants to maintain your fertility, except the other thing, like women younger than 40, we're in our childbearing years. I've, no. I've photographed 20-year-old women I photographed a sister of a 16-year-old young girl that passed away from breast cancer. Like, we're young women. We want to mature, have families, go on with our lives. So one of the ways that they give us, they maintain our fertility is by shutting off our ovaries, so to say. Chemo targets cell division, multiplying cells right? Rapidly multiplying cells. So that's why hair falls out because those cells divide quickly. Tumors divide quickly. Your intestinal, gastrointestinal tract lining, epithelial tissue multiplies quickly. So all of these things you have issues with, your ovaries, your gonads, whatever they're called, multiply quickly. Right. So by turning them off, you're less likely to have the chemo target, target them, it right and you will have your greatest chance of maintaining your fertility okay so are you kind of on on watch for a couple years like f for the cancer to not come back or yeah i mean for the rest of my life the rest of your <laughs> life okay yeah wow <laughs> um but the first the first like five years are the large milestone because okay. even right now i'm considered NED, no evidence of disease. And then at five years, they call you cured, even though in my mind, I roll my eyes because you're never really cured. But that's just like in statistics world, a big milestone to get to that five year mark. Okay. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic. No, no, no. You're I'm, being I'm realistic. Totally, I'm totally like, cancer's changed my life in great ways. I, I do not think, I think it's actually been a gift in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode is brought to you by Picnic. Um, Picnic is a 
local business uh, owned by Anna Lee, friend of the podcast. Um, what do they do? Missy, do you want to tell us? You saw you saw some of the pictures, right? Yeah, I glanced at her Instagram and she'd set up. What do you th- what do you think? Romantic. Uh, I saw a picnic on Sunset Cliffs. Yeah. And would be perfect for a romantic evening, a proposal, maybe showing a good girlfriend a good time. The possibilities are endless. There you go. Oh, <laughs> I'll pay you to do these. Um, so yeah, pretty much everything Missy said. Um, it is a an amazing date night um they're amazing locations kate sessions park uh like you said sunset cliffs um yeah if you book them and use code this life uh till the end of november i believe which is probably gonna be tomorrow i've already made that joke i hate myself um use code this life (laughs) Their, (laughs) their instagram is uh, at picnicked, it's spelled P I C N I C K E D underscore. Uh, use code this life and you get 10% off of your booking in November. Back to the show. What ways do you think it, it changed your life? I have so much passion right now. I every day I wake up and live and breathe passion to try to spread awareness and connect with more women and share their stories and can't stop there. I don't want to, to just photograph women. It feels so passive. And of course in COVID, I wanted to start doing events and I feel I can't do events right now. So now I want to try to compile all the stories, data that I've collected to present to physicians who are right now, not necessarily taking our concerns so seriously. Like I've even asked women, Okay, so your doctor sent you home, told you you have nothing to worry about. You went to another doctor, ended up getting diagnosed with cancer. Did you ever tell doctor number one that they were wrong? And most of them say no. So I'm not trying to to have an attitude or chip on my shoulder like I'm better than a physician. Like, no, physicians do wonderful things. They're also not one person. Physicians are a group of people with a spectrum. There's good, they're bad. They make mistakes. They're people. Do I think I can make them better at their jobs? Yes, I do. And it's through all the stories I've collected that I think I can make them better at their jobs. Because there's a correlation. There's a, a very much so a correlation. Okay. So you're anti-doctor. We'd learn that. Um, <laughs> just kidding. No, <laughs> you I hate love big pharma. my doctors. <laughs> um, something that I remember, you and I actually talked last week about what we're going to talk about here and, and kind of just spewed our guts to each other. Um I had a, I think a teacher that told me that in the U.S., one of the big problems is that we don't have health care. We have sick care. Mm-hmm. And after you told me that, uh, I actually spoke to my mom about it. I was like, mom, I'm going to have, you know, because I, I told you my grandmother had had breast cancer and I was kind of too young to even understand what it was or like that it was a thing. But um, she, my mom actually told me She's like, yeah, they found a lump in my in my breast, and they said it was a cyst. Mm. And then she said she went to, and my mom listens to this. Mom, you know, sorry, um, but she was like, yeah, I went to Mexico, and they were like, yeah, come back every month, and we got to check that. Oh wow! And the difference between there and here was, it was like they were like, oh, it's benign. Same thing that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she goes to Mexico, and they're like, oh yeah, it's benign right now, but let's, let's monitor it. 
So that's those parallels where I'm like, what, what, like, what is going on? So once you told me, yeah, I want to bring awareness to this and I want to tell physicians and tell, you know, the people up top, like, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. You all got to fix your shit. Uh, you didn't say that way, but that's pretty much what, obviously there's a problem. Yeah. And I'm sure people at home are, are like, oh, that did happen to me or that happened to my mom or that happened to my grandma. Or, yeah. um, that's one of the biggest reasons why I wanted you here. But uh, to go back, I feel like we're jumping around in your timeline, but uh, let me go back to your timeline of during cancer. Mm-hmm. What is that like? Uh, <clears throat> that's just it's such a broad wow. question because there's so many little things to touch on. But mental well, mental health wise, well, even for physically, you just to ask me, my, my mind immediately goes back to like imagining myself as the person who had cancer and that's why it almost you need to digest that for a moment if you're right. really going to go back there right because it's a hard place to be in um i really trusted my medical team i still really trust my medical team my oncologist is impeccable she's uh, she specializes in younger women and there is a difference there is very much so a difference we have I mean, the the BRCA gene is a beast of a gene, a gene mutation. And not all young women, but a lot of young women have that. And you, you need to handle these things differently. Um, I think my headspace was, I knew I was going to be okay. I did. And that was one of the first things and why I immediately brought it back to I trust in my doctors. Because... As I told you prior that the first oncologist, my husband said, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I found my oncologist. Shout out to Dr. Shatsky, who's amazing at UCSD. UCSD, yeah. And one of the first things she said at when we met each other at my consultation was, let me take care of curing your cancer. You worry about raising your daughter. That's and awesome. I took that with me and my husband walked out and said yeah i like her a lot (laughs) (laughs) but then it becomes it becomes your routine i mean i had infusions chemo infusions every friday i started losing my hair um i spent 400 500 on a wig that i never wore and i embraced being bald and i still saw the world the same way i see the world but i knew that people were looking at me differently which made me approach the world differently so I was aware that it had a lot to do with my projection on people and on things. And if I felt comfortable, then honestly, what I started doing is I started wearing t-shirts with hearts all over my boobs so that people would know they would see my bald head. They would see my hearts on my boobs and they would be like, oh, oh for real. <laughs> people would stop me online in Starbucks and be like, oh my gosh, I'm praying for you. My mom had breast cancer. My grandma had breast cancer. She died from breast cancer. I'm like, thanks. You don't need to tell me that. Yeah, well, they'll tell you yeah, anything. Exactly. Exactly. But, but point being that it wasn't like something I hid. And as I said prior, I also took short-term disability and focused on my mental health. I did a lot of yoga, like really low level yoga. I'm not that good at it, but I called it elegant stretching. <laughs> And it was hard for me to get through those sessions, even intro classes, right? because I was so fatigued. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. And my mind just shot to a, an Instagram message I received a couple months ago from 
a woman in Nepal. Wow. And she asked me to record myself and share my story because survivors of cancer in Nepal are viewed as people with disabilities and people who really, to summarize her words, can't move on with their life. Holy moly. And she saw that in America or in other established countries, advanced countries rather, that she doesn't feel that theme from us. Mm -mm. And she found my feed and she asked me to share a word with the women in her country. And I take that back to say that all I was was supported, energized. The cards were coming in. The gifts for my daughter were coming in. The meal train for the food. That it's like, all right, guys, I'm fine. I kind of feel weird. Everyone's focusing on me. Right. Um, but point being, not one person gave me an attitude or a hard time. Strangers or friends or loved ones. Nobody. Yeah. Did you, did you ever feel like a charity case? I mean, sometimes it borders on that. But then fast forward to being cancer free and that all goes away. Yeah. Because I, I think that's a big part of helping you be who you are now and, and how you feel now. Yeah. Um, but what was it having a husband and a little girl during that time? I mean, I immediately smile. They, they made me smile. Our daughter was, she was an infant. She was a day old a few days after my diagnosis. So any, I have videos of me, like I lost 10 pounds. I weighed what I did in middle school in the process. Not in an attractive way. Yeah, you're already not a very big person. It was very unhealthy looking, but I wasn't that hungry. And I have videos of me just looking sick and bald and the, chemo makes your skin like kind of gray slash translucent Mm -hmm. you look weird you like glow a little bit i swear that there's like some radioactive stuff going on again (laughs) not a doctor but that's my (laughs) paraphrase it becomes like ghostly right and i have videos of me in this state where i'm by no means did i feel beautiful or look beautiful but my daughter started laughing Hmm. and it's like what was she four months old and i'm like three months into chemo i'm like solidly in treatment and she started giggling for the first time and we're taking home videos because that's what you do yeah and sometimes it's so great for me to look back at those because in those moments i wasn't a cancer patient i was a new mom learning more about my daughter and it's still like that she still has no idea Right. We we pulled up uh, old photos on the computer the other day, and she saw a picture of me with really short hair, and she said, "Dada." Oh, <laughs> oh no! And you're like, "Yep." <laughs> you, you, we'll explain one day. Yeah. We'll explain. <laughs> so funny. How old is she now? She'll be two on Christmas. Oh, that's awesome! Mm-hmm. Wow. So afterwards, um. Because you and I, I mean, you and I spoke a lot about all this stuff and I'm almost, I'm trying to condense it, but it's very hard to condense it. Yeah. Uh, but I'll try my best to, to touch on everything. Um, after being cancer free, mm-hmm. uh, is that what you call it? Cancer free or? You're in survivorship. You're a survivor. Okay. Uh, once in survivorship, um, everything kind of stops, mm-hmm. right? And the support 
kind of stops. It feels like, uh, I, I, I made the little parallel of, of, I knew someone who was in the Vegas shooting and that's a different type of trauma, but it's still a trauma. And the first week, the first month, it was like, we love you so much. And we hope you're, you know, better. And, and people were checking in all the time. Second month, you know, a little bit still there. Third month, it was like, all right, well, you know, it happened in, Oct- in October. So it was Christmas. So people were just kind of like, mm-hmm. eh, you're, you know, want to come to this party? And that person was like, I am not comfortable in crowds. Mm-hmm. Why? That happened two months ago. You're, you should be fine now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you spoke about what it was like having that trauma for, for a while, having the, the trauma of having cancer and everything that went into that. And then just kind of it's stopping. Um, Don also, I spoke with him and he talked a little bit about it. But uh, if you could kind of go into that, the post, the survivorship. The survivorship in so many ways is so much darker than cancer treatment. Because cancer treatment, and I'll speak for myself, it's different for everyone. And it's a very personal issue. But again, I have interviewed almost 50 women. And it's a common theme. And a lot of the women are still in treatment. So they're not even there yet. So again, I'll speak for myself that survivorship was harder than treatment because in, excuse me, in treatment, again, I trusted my doctors. Dr. Shatsky took care of me. I saw her every Friday. This was before COVID. She would hug me. Her nurses would see me. I was like, it's my second home. I still go to UCSD and it's my second home. Yeah. And the cards were coming in the mail. As I said, the gifts were my daughter. Everyone was supporting. And then it's like, congrats you did it and you're just expected to for me go back to work my work was i still work part-time but i've i've changed my roles with work work was a rather aggressive job and a lot of energy and your red blood cells don't come back that quickly so your fatigue is not just like there once you're done with treatment so there's there's like chemical reasons things aren't just back to normal but more the emotional side of it, it's can be really lonely and dark because you're just expected to be happy about everything and pick back up with your life. And honestly, I should have had more therapy or counseling during that time. Um, but I didn't. Right. And I'm not good at seeking those things. Uh, but You're not the only person. <laughs> and it's good to talk about. And UCSD and a lot of cancer institutions or breast health centers, more than I know, offer someone on staff that you don't even need to go through insurance. You can just connect with them. And we have Lori Knight at UCSD. And if her door is open, you can just say hello. And if she has a moment, she'll shut the door. And I would never schedule appointments with her. Right. But I still go to UCSD all the time for appointments. And... If her door's open, I'll always poke my head in. If she has time for me, I'll say hi. But for some reason, I won't book appointments with her. And I don't I don't know why we do that. Um, but then sometimes I'd sit on her couch and think to myself, my problems aren't big enough to bother with you. And it's like, what are your problems? Well, I don't know, but I'm feeling like crap. Right. Which is not normal. I mean, it's, it's an emotional saga, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we spoke about... Uh, how, well, I'm on antidepressants. Uh, I actually, the other day I forgot to take a day and I was like, Oh my God, I was like freaking out when I was remembering our, our conversation. But, um, you've had depression pretty much your whole life since you were a teenager, right? 
I'd say since I, yeah, I mean, not my whole life, but since I was, I think in middle school, my mom was like, you should talk to somebody. Right. I was like, okay. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> did that intertwine with, uh, I feel like this is a silly question, but did that intertwine with, with cancer and the treatments and all that? No, not necessarily. I mean, it's a, it's a very different beast. Um, depression is also one of those things that I know that I will deal with the rest of my life as is cancer. So now they're more like parallels. Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of my relationship with depression and a more mild depression, there's, there's, I mean, it's debilitating for me, but it's not like a manic depression, but it's, it's, I can hide out by myself and no one will know how I'm feeling. That's how I handle it. And I learned over the years, probably pushing my late 20s, so maybe say a good 12 years of learning that I do need to take my medication. And if I don't take it or I want to get rid of it or I want to forget about it, then that's when I just go right back to feeling crummy. So I'd say to answer your question, Felix, one of the ways of it not magnifying the depression was to be consistent with my medication during During. the process. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was one less thing to kind of worry about. Yeah. But then it goes back to that. It's not a bandaid that takes care of everything because I didn't decide to stop once cancer treatment ended. Right. And I was no evidence of disease. I still had my, my dips and feeling really crummy. Like you still need to take care of yourself and know how to seek um, a positive mental health environment for yourself. Um, so then afterwards, having all of the presence and all the people checking in stop, um, what was it like for you and not just for you, but your family? Well, we're shifting right now. You're shifting? Yeah. What does that mean? Have you heard about our Airstream? That, yeah. Mm. Dude, <laughs> What a dream guy. Uh, he's so he's cool. He's, he's so cool. So so tell everyone about about uh, Don's, Don's so, project. Or your pro- it's both of your projects? Yeah. Well, or, he physically is rebuilding the 1969 Airstream. That's like 31 feet long. It's huge. Yeah. It's been in our driveway for two years. That's so cool. It started not a rivet had been... Actually, no. Rivets had been repaired. and But... The, the goal of the Airstream that really came to fruition through my treatment and knowing we were bringing Sequoia into the world was, okay, am I going to go back to work full time and we're both just going to like pursue these careers and hash them out and like come back to the dinner table and tell each other about our day? And is that like our trajectory or are we just going to hit the road and like drive into the sunset and yeah. like pack what we need and like glorified camping because it's the airstream and just make as many memories as possible for our daughter and our little family and i think as i said i'm happy happier now where our lives are with a cancer diagnosis because shifts like this happen and it's like which is more important do we want to pursue our airstream lifestyle where we still have a home for now if, if we love the road so much, then we could change paths. But we just want to have the flexibility to do what we want and to create the memories we want and see the places we want to see and to send her off into open land and not worry that 
She's going to get hurt, but trust that she can just go explore on her own and she can make friends and we can have friends meet us out in random places in the Western United States or wherever because there's so much beauty out there. And that's a shift that's occurred a, a lot because of my diagnosis. Yeah. And I think that's the fuel under Don's butt to keep working on it because now I'm like, are you done yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired yeah. of waiting. and. I watch our daughter a lot of times for him to work on it. So I'm like jealous and anxious for the three of us to spend weekends together. Where right now we give him a lot of space and time to work on the project. Yeah. Yeah. He told me you guys were going to, or you went to New York a couple weeks ago, two Mm -hmm. weeks ago maybe. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, dude, what's, you know, what's, what's on the agenda for this weekend? And he's like, um, I think actually he asked me and I was like, uh, probably just have a scumbag Sunday and he was like what is that i don't know if he told you about that no. um so this is and you know what i'm gonna pan, i'm gonna patent this right now scumbag sunday saturday scumbag weekend is the most fun thing ever you wake up you might have some cold pizza overs over the sink like a complete scumbag you're not gonna shower all day you're just and it's not the same as like a oh, lazy sunday because you can hop in the shower and have a lazy sunday or whatever watch some movies a scumbag sunday you're just you're being a total scumbag you're you're drinking maybe at 10 a.m. and just kind of slowly drinking throughout the day and and sitting there watching stupid movies, stupid TV, maybe a cool documentary, and you're just doing nothing for anyone but yourself. Hmm. And that's something I've kind of adopted. I I don't really like to drink throughout the day, but I've just kind of, there are days where I'm like, oh my God, I want to be just a dirtbag today. And I want to be a dirtbag and like love that I'm being a dirtbag and not feel bad about myself. But anyway, just went on a tangent. Um, yeah, I told Don, I was like, dude, scum, are you going to do that? And he's like, what is that? And I was like, yeah, no, Don, <laughs> he's like, well, uh, maybe I'll have a beer in the morning while I'm working on the Airstream. And I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, he was just trying to be cool for you. I was like, come on, man. Are you? Yeah. And he's like, maybe, maybe like, I was like, take your shirt off while you're working on it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. You know, the girls aren't home. And I was like, all right, well, there you go. Um, but yeah, he was telling me about that as well. Just about how you guys want that freedom. Yeah. And well, and then I want to take photographs on the road. It's, it's all combined where I've been mostly photographing women, young women diagnosed under 40 in San Diego with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Cause that's our corner of the country, but with social media and ability to connect with women in all different States and cities, like how cool would it be if we decide to pursue whatever, natural meandering beautiful path of the united states we want to and i'm like hey we're going to idaho like who's who's near boise that we can connect with or we'll probably stay away from cities yeah like who who are in these areas and i want to photograph women in their in their homes and their bedrooms and show more of not just the crisp white or monotone background but a little bit more of the details and the colors behind them it's just going to keep evolving. And I've shared on my feed that as soon as I develop a pattern and a habit in the way I photograph women or the way I want to project our stories, the stories are very similar. And I ask the same questions and gather the same stories. It's mostly of how did you get diagnosed? Because Mm -hmm. we fall through the cracks. We don't have mammograms. Doctors don't necessarily touch our boobs for us. I went my whole pregnancy and no OBGYN touched my boobs. And I had cancer, remember? Yeah. The yeah, whole yeah. time. Yeah. This isn't like a weirdo thing. It's a, yeah, it's a yeah. cancer thing. Yeah. 
But some some doctors do, and I have a friend who's pregnant right now, and she's like, no, they reminded me to do self-exams. And it's like, that's a great doctor. They should be applauded for their efforts for our community. Yeah. But it all goes hand in hand with where we want to go with taking the Airstream on the road. Oh, wait, I have to back up. That as soon as I get into a, a pattern of how I like to photograph women, I get bored of it. So then I need to develop a new pattern. Yeah. And I embrace it. It's not bad. I'm not uncomfortable with it. I don't look back and feel embarrassed of anything I've done. It's a journey. And what am I going to do? I'm 36 right now. Am I going to do this 10 years later and be like, oh, it's exactly the same as it was 10 years ago? Mm-mm. No, you, you do whatever feels right. And I like to consider myself an artist and a creative entity with scientific application i love the female body and sometimes like i I don't know you just change it up at the last minute you you follow your intuition you do what feels right so how cool will that be if we're in the airstream and then i can create excuse me uh pull the awning off the airstream and like create a little studio on the road and like entertain women at the airstream that's cool who've all had breast cancer and like ground their feet into nature wherever we are and draw something out of them. It's very cathartic. It's like a therapy session in their own to share their story, to get it all out. Then we take the photos after they've like like shed the layers in front of me because we have such mutual ground for them to not have to impress me. We're just real in front of each other. It's right in that moment that I photograph them. So it's, I think, very personal, very real, but we're still just starting. Right. It's just me. Like eventually, where are we going to be in ten years, and how many doctors will be in? Will we be in front of? And what will Very this? True. What will this do for the community? Very true. Express yourself. Express yourself, Cole. So, good friend of the podcast, uh, Tony, actually a good friend of mine, uh, owns a pin company called Express Yourself. Right now is a great time to buy some pins, stickers, dad hats for some stocking stuffers. Um, I have Missy looking at the. Instagram, what do you think? I see boba. Boba? It's hard to find boba pins. I see uh, avocado. There you go. That's cool. Would be great for local businesses, small companies, uh, branding. Great opportunity for branding. Yes. If you're, if you're a boba shop, right? Ninja Turtles. I mean, I guess you could throw it back too. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, if you use code thislife uh, at Express Yourself Co. Dot, I believe that's yeah. Expressyourselfcode.com. Um, use code this life. You get ten percent off of your purchase. Uh, don't miss out. They have some pretty pretty dope stuff, and they're also selling out of stuff. So get there today or order today. Oh boy, bye. <laughs> yeah, wow. You I, we have that kind of same. I think that's that creative mindset where we are constantly hungry. If you're satisfied doing the same thing over and over and over and over again the same way, then you probably shouldn't be in the creative business because you're, and not that I'm saying like what you're doing is a business, but. uh, Well, it's a nonprofit. It's a 501c3. I collect donations. It's a business. There you go. Well, I mean, I want to use the money. I use the money to buy t-shirts for women and some camera equipment and darn covid i was supposed to start traveling to photograph women in other cities but it will come and now we're in purple mode or whatever again and the purple tier anyway i don't want to talk about all that crap um yeah we're constantly just i did this how do i make it better we were talking earlier about the new 
my new little recorder yeah. here and i was like yeah i'm so excited um and it makes you kind of nervous but it, it that's kind of what keeps you like going and like right now my mind is on the recorder where i'm like okay i gotta change this right I gotta do. but i'm also thinking about the bigger picture of like how does it make this production better and like if it, if i didn't have these like awesome lights like the, the i would want the awesome lights and you kind of have to keep going and even get or get even better um have you always had that mindset or did that come with your diagnosis and all that no that's me but i've I think your journey in life is to become more and more of the person of your true self that you were meant to be. And I don't say that you were meant to be as much as there are gentle whispers within your being that are, that are true to you. That's your wavelength. That's what I call it. I call it riding your wavelength. My wavelength is not your wavelength. So you can't look to your friend to figure out what wavelength you should be riding. Right. You can't look to anybody. It's your wavelength. And I think my cancer diagnosis, all I want to do is keep talking about it and protect other women. And I see such a white space. It's like the Grand Canyon of white spaces in the breast cancer community to help more women and to educate doctors. And that's where I am. And I want to stay there. And my wavelength just got so big, which is why I'm so passionate. And do I want to keep growing that's where it ties into well i've always i get bored really easily i always have same i change jobs every two years not to another field i've worked in prosthetics since grad school but i change jobs because i get bored at a current job and i may not see the opportunity ahead of me that i want to so i'll switch companies to find a different hierarchy to climb right and maybe i'll move in the process and then have a new hurdle to get over or to establish myself in a new territory. Um, but now I'm focusing less on my degree in prosthetics and working with amputees. And I'm more concerned with everything I see ahead of me with is a path that is newfound. I don't know. I'm creating it. That's awesome. I think that's a, that's a beautiful outlook on life. And I don't think you need a, um, I mean, a cancer diagnosis to, to have that. And it's hard for many people to have that, that mindset. So, I mean, I, I want to keep talking to you, but, uh, you got places to be, so we'll, we'll wrap this up. Um, do you have any final thoughts that you want to tell people? Or? Check your boobs. Check your boobs. Check your boobs. Touch your boobs. You don't need to look it up on the internet. Go in the shower. Just feel them. Lay on the couch, lay in your bed, feel them. Sometimes I get frustrated at like how to chuck your boobs infographics because I'm like, <laughs> yeah. honestly, don't think about it. Just do it. Something doesn't feel right. Yeah, just do it. And most importantly, know what they feel like. So if something new appears, you're like, that's new. That wasn't there. Yeah. That's concerning. Check your boobs. There you go. Where uh, where can people find you? Where can they reach out to you? Yeah, the... <clears throat> the nonprofit is called Breast Cancer Portrait Project. So on Instagram, I'm at Breast Cancer Portrait Project. I have a website. And eventually, I'll be holding events that are going to be cool. It's going to be called Breast Friend Night. Bring a friend with breasts to check her boobs. Hell yeah. Because my boobs are fake. They were created by plastic surgeons. There you a go. A lot of women I know, we have fake boobs. 
cancer's not going to come back in my boobs. I don't have breast tissue. But I have lots of friends with breast tissue. So bring a friend with breasts to check her boobs. <laughs> breast friend night. Breast. It's going to happen all over the country. <laughs> but not yet. So TBD. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> as for me, if you want to find her, just go on my Instagram at Myorca Media uh, and under followers type in or following type in uh, breast and you'll you'll find i think i hope that's the only one <laughs> anyway uh missy i want to thank you so much for being on here um i hope people have more questions i hope this made people think i hope this made men think honestly um ask questions man understand if yeah. you're married understand your wife understand mm-hmm. just kind of not only physically her body but mentally i think we got to ask more questions to each other Advocate. as advocate exactly my other closing comment is a number of boyfriends or husbands have found their woman's their woman's their girlfriend or wife's lump or it's not always a lump sometimes it's like feels like a peel of an orange skin or an inverted nipple or a dense area but like only in one small part of the breast nowhere else in the breast or the other breast wow so sometimes it is the man that finds it or in whatever your sexual preference is, whatever your relationship is. I didn't mean to go into a hetero world. Your significant there. other. Yes, exactly. Um, and the other is a reminder that only a biopsy confirms whether it's cancer or not. So many doctors will turn you away and say, you are fine. Like me, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. No, it grew four centimeters since I saw you and it's almost stage three. So advocate for yourself and insist on a biopsy. Awesome. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to This Life, a podcast by Mallorca Media. This was Missy Peters. Uh, My name is Felix Mallorca. Follow me at Mallorca Media um, and I will see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. That was about an hour. Wow. Good. Oh man. I need to take a selfie before.